I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg in South Africa is Dr. Radmila Razlog, who heads up the Department of Complementary Medicine at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure joining you today. Dr. Razlog, as I mentioned in the introduction, you head up the Department of Complementary Medicine. According to the school's website, it describes the discipline as being a broad set of healthcare practices, which are not part of the country's traditional or conventional medicine, but it can be used independently or alongside such therapies. And that complementary medicine professions in South Africa consist of a diverse range of disciplines, which include phytotherapy, homeopathy, and acupuncture. Please, can you share some insight into the disciplines as well as the types of conditions that you treat? Okay, sure. Um, So if we speak about complementary medicine in South Africa, probably the easiest way to understand complementary medicine is to understand who regulates us and where we fit in within the healthcare scenario in in, in our country. So complementary medicines um, are regulated by the Allied Health Professions Council of South Africa, whereas mainstream medicines then are regulated by the Health Professions Council of South Africa or maybe other um, uh, regulatory councils like for nursing or uh, uh, pharmacy, etc. So we are regulated by the Allied Health Professions Council of South Africa. So it's a, it's a statutory health body that looks after um, all complementary medicine professions. And exactly like you said, I mean, the, the, the many complementary medicines, maybe not all recognised and regulated in South Africa. Um, Globally, there are many that people can turn to to use as a healthcare option. But in South Africa, we have aromatherapy, we've got Ayurveda, we've got Chinese medicine and acupuncture, we've got chiropractic, we've got homeopathy, naturopathy, osteopathy, uh, then phytotherapy, which is um, your, your herbal medicine, um, reflexology, and then we've also got therapeutic massage therapy, and lastly, Unani tip. And those are all the complementary medicines um, that are regulated within South Africa so that you know there's a a statutory body that looks after these professions and ensures the health, the well-being and the safety of the public that make use of these complementary professions in our country. So uh, from our university, the University of Johannesburg, where we offer certain complementary medicine professions. We, the Department of Complementary Medicine, we offer an undergraduate qualification um, that includes the homeopathy and the phytotherapy. Along with that, you would also within the domain of acupuncture and you can exit after four years as as an acupuncturist. Um, And then you go on and into your master's year uh, where you would then be able to register with the council as a registered practitioner, either as a phytotherapist um, or an acupuncturist. Uh, We also offer postgraduate diplomas in these fields. So these qualifications in complementary medicine can become available to other medical uh, practitioners. Um, So they have to be practitioners. And probably the easiest way just to understand that is that we get a therapist and we get a practitioner. We speak about a practitioner. A practitioner is someone that is able to consult with the patient, um, take an extensive case from the patient, examine the patient and arrive at a diagnosis. Whereas the therapeutic complementary medicine therapies wouldn't actually be able to diagnose the patient. They would just be able to offer their therapy um, to the patient that comes 
to see them. That is such an extensive range of offerings. And it's good to know also from a credibility point of view that you've got practitioners in place who are registered with an associated body and that they undergo a four-year qualification to become practitioners. Typically, what would you say are are some of the, the more common conditions or why would I go to a complementary practitioner versus a, a traditional practitioner? Yeah, yeah, approach. So I think, um, you know, w- when we look at the different complementary medicine modalities that are made available to people, obviously the, the therapeutic um, practitioners, that usually is about a four-year study. So we've got the bachelor's, which is four years. As soon as you become the practitioner, you have to complete the master's to get registration. So that, that qualification in its entirety to exit as a professional within the field of homeopathy or phytotherapy is going to take you about six years. And there is also an internship with that. So it is, it is a long road to ensure that you've adequately equipped with all the necessary skills um, from, from a, a medical point of view to be able to diagnose and evaluate your patient and uh, do rigorous assessments and tests that you need to arrive at a, a correct diagnosis. And then, Possibly the, the, the main difference there from a, a mainstream conventional approach is that complementary medicines use different medicines. So we, we might arrive at the same diagnosis as a profession where we're treating patients for medical conditions, but our treatment approach is different. So whichever complementary medicine, each of these disciplines that I've mentioned all have their own scope of practice and they all have their own treatment approach. And they might also have their own medicines uh, that form within their material medical, their pharmacopoeia that they use uh, to treat their, their patients. So if you are a practitioner, um, uh, so that, that would re- relate to the domains of chiropractic, homeopathy, phytotherapy, where you're a registered practitioner, you can treat any patient who comes to see you, provided obviously that your treatment approach is based on a best practice approach. So you feel that you are adequately skilled with the necessary expertise and the scope of practice to be able to help that patient. And most of the time, if the patient's coming to see you, whatever their complaint is, um, there will always be some treatment approach um, from, a, from a, a discipline point of view that we can offer the patient based on their presenting symptoms, based on what we've diagnosed. And a lot of the time, and a lot of the way what we teach is that it's not an alternative approach. And we've moved away from the term complementary and alternative medicine um, to complementary because we see our, our disciplines and our approaches to healthcare and well-being and improving health of individuals as an integrated approach. So we can offer something from a complementary medicine point of view, but there might be other treatments or other approaches or other interventions that may be necessary at the same time. So it is an integrative approach, um, but I think from a complementary medicine point of view approach is that patients come and see allied health practitioners is because they're looking for a more natural approach to managing their health care. Um, they've possibly in some instances tried a whole lot of different interventions from a mainstream perspective or, or maybe even from other type of perspectives, um, and they haven't got the relief or the, the, the outcome that they've wanted from the care that they've received. So a lot of the time I think patients do come in where they've had a complaint for many years, um, they're unable to resolve the issue and they're looking for a different approach and obviously hoping for a more favourable outcome. And in terms of women's health in particular, 
Are there any um, specific ailments that present which a complementary medicine is almost more beneficial than a conventional? Um, so I think, you know, I think women in general um, seem to seek complementary medicine more so than, than males. And I think this is more because of this willingness to identify and say, look, I really need the care and I need the help and I'm not feeling better and I'm hoping to get to get the kind of treatment that possibly is more natural in its approach that I know is healthier for my body and allows me to take ownership of my health and health care. So a, a lot of the, the, the allied health medicines and the complementary medicines, you know, we offer supplementation, there's minerals, there's dietary advice, and then there's obviously all the medicines. But most of the medicines don't have severe adverse or toxic side effects. And I think just in society today, people are seeking, particularly women, I think, are seeking a treatment approach that speaks to that more specifically for them, where they're hoping to treat the healthcare issues. Um, and this can be a diversity of healthcare issues along their lifespan, um, you know, starting from as early as uh, the start of menstruation and then um, into teenagehood, um, into then uh, fertility and pregnancy, and then obviously with PMS-related kind of symptoms and into menopause, especially where a treatment approach or a medication or something has to be used more routinely and possibly more chronically, um, that you know you're taking something natural, you're hoping that this treatment approach is going to be beneficial and actually has no um, adverse or, or, or any side effects from the medication that you're taking. So often people end up taking more medicine to counteract the effects of the side effects from the original prescription. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you've already explained that the, the process of becoming a practitioner is four years plus a master's, so effectively yeah. a six-year cycle. What made you decide to specialize in complementary medicine as opposed to choosing a more conventional route? Because it's yeah. literally the same time frame. Yeah, I think it was also to do with my upbringing and that, you know, with, with my origins, my parents from, with you know, we, we really always had this natural medicine type of based approach to health and health care. And really, you, you, you allowed your body to heal itself, to go through the process of recovery and cure by using your natural resources and your natural herbs and, and your diet and your, your, um, your environment um, to assist you with that. So um, I think it was something that my parents always embraced um, this whole concept of natural health care. And it was just something that I've, I'd always loved. So my passion was always in medicine and, and, and health and well-being and empowering people to, to, to look after themselves and to understand their bodies and to, to make the right judgment calls when you need help. And also not to just ignore these signs, um, you know, seek help when you need it. Um, so my passion was always in medicine. Um, and then I think this love for more of a holistic, natural approach to healthcare was, you know, just it, it, it happened at the same time that in uh, 1993, the university started offering the courses in, in, in um uh, complementary medicine. Um, and that's really where my interests lay. So yeah, I was I was obviously on board with it because it's something that really resonates with, with who I am and, and what I really love. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
today, we're talking to Dr. Radmila Razlog, who heads up the Department of Complementary Medicine at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. You're teaching students, you are aware of, of the mix between both the conventional practice as well as the, the complementary side. What proportion of, of students are pursuing the complementary route as opposed to going the, the traditional route? Um, so I think complementary medicine sometimes is misunderstood. And I think particularly with uh, students ending the matric year and they, they're faced with these two words that sound quite similar, maybe maybe not sound similar, but look quite similar, complementary and conventional medicine. And, and they obviously the approach, it's, it's very different. It's with what we're offering from a conventional medicine point of view offers a completely different approach to the management of the condition. Uh, from, from a drug-based kind of discipline. I think many instances, there's a lot of overlap to the diagnosis, to the investigation, and possibly more the soft touch skills with regards to the care and the treatment. But the medicines are uh, uniquely different, um, and that's what really differentiates us. So I think, you know, students really have to understand that these disciplines are different from a point of view of the medicines that you're giving the patient. And also one's not a, a hospital-based kind of setting either, you know, so as, as a qualified practitioner, as a homeopath or phytotherapist or Chinese medicine as acupuncture, most therapists then will establish their own private practices um, and they will consult with, with patients that way. But at the end of the day, uh, we're treating ill or sick people that want to come and see us to improve their health and wellness. And um, they're choosing us um, as opposed to any other type or form of medicine because they're hoping to get the relief um, that they're looking for. So um, we definitely have grown in popularity. Our new qualification uh, started in 2020, where we recurriculated all our programs. Um, in the first year, we had um, round about one and a half to 2,000 applicants, only to 440 positions. Um, that doubled to close to 3,000, and this year, over 7,500 applications to take 40 to 45 students. The, the demand is definitely there. And, and I think, you know, young graduate, young matric students are looking for something that's maybe just something a little bit different in healthcare. You know, something where it's not, it's not a traditional conventional route, but I can offer you that from a slightly different perspective. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean, huge demand and a yeah, handful yeah. Of, of positions being available. Yeah, and in terms of gender ratios, what types of splits are you seeing with students coming in and, and going on to do their studies? So we, we have both um, males and females that are interested in the qualification. Um, uh, we are definitely more female predominant. We have far more females in the course than males. And out of that group of 45 to 50 students that we, we accept into first year, we probably have about 40 females within that group. A lot of these degrees, and, and I even speak when I first started off my studies, especially chiropractic, because both qualifications became available simultaneously. And I think at, at, a, at, at that point, um, it was definitely more male-driven type of qualifications. But over the years, we've definitely seen a, a, a transition. And I think um, maybe chiropractic, possibly also still more male-driven, whereas complementary medicine, when we think about it, I think it's, it's this holistic kind of more natural approach to healthcare, which I think really resonates and speaks to young women who are interested in healthcare and feel that they have the necessary qualities and values that they feel that they could practice as, as a homeopath or a phytotherapist or acupuncturist. 
One of the things that I appreciate about medicine and health and science in particular is the aspect that it is continuing, continuously developing, that there is always research happening, that there's always routes of being able to improve things. And we also see that with the way that life expectancy is increasing across the world. And part of that is an attribute to better health, which yeah. speaks to those advancements being made in the field. Can you tell us about some of the more significant collaborations or, or research outputs that you've been working on, both within the South African context and, and perhaps into the continent as well? With the, the qualifications that we offer within Chinese medicine and acupuncture, but specifically in the domain of acupuncture and then homeopathy and phytotherapy, and with the recurriculation now in the, the last couple of years, we've entered into a whole lot of interesting collaborative uh, partnerships, um, signed MOUs uh, with China and Australia. Within uh, China, we've got MOAs with Fujian University, the Baptist University of Hong Kong, and the Fujian Medical University. And I suppose because the discipline of Chinese medicine and acupuncture is so established in China, um, majority of the patients make use of Chinese medicine and acupuncture as a, as a primary first line uh, treatment. So Chinese medicine and acupuncture and conventional medicine are run parallel with each other. And at the same time, you will receive your Chinese med uh, medicine care and your acupuncture, you'd probably be receiving your conventional medical care as well. So it's a well-functioning university, um, all these universities um, within China that incorporate the Chinese medicine aspects in acupuncture and mainstream medicine, and definitely with homeopathy, a similar kind of scenario that we see in India, where healthcare runs holistically and patients then have, have the choice to decide what they feel will be their best care healthcare option in order to optimize their well-being. Thinking about what's happening in other countries around the world, so India, China, Eastern medicine, which they've brought in Western medicine as yeah. almost the complement to the complementary or, or allied medicine to get that holistic healthcare perspective happening. Do you think there is a lack of awareness within the African context of what complementary medicine can do so that it could become a form of primary health care? I definitely think there's a lack of an overall understanding of what complementary medicine can offer. And I think, you know, with a lot of the research that we've been doing as, as, as a university, as a department, um, is to really look at this awareness and the knowledge and the experiences of patients that use these different complementary medicine modalities and really try to understand the experiences and how we feel we can develop our practices in order to enhance what we offer to the public, to the community, uh, to society in order to enhance um, well-being. And, and that really is our key focus is, as an education institution is to really look, um, we're hoping with the national health insurance that you know, complementary medicines could be incorporated in that so that we are able to assist in the burden of disease and we are able to contribute towards healthcare and that our modalities and treatments and medicine approaches become available to patients as other type of treatment options within the system. Um, so exactly like you said, I mean, China has that in place already, India in place, um, and we're hoping that this would obviously become a, an option for our South African community as well. Before we move away from the discipline entirely, it really struck me on the popularity of the field with you having a capacity of 40 students, but getting 7,000 odd applicants. Yes. How 
would you say that the school's teaching methods have have changed in the face of the COVID-19 outbreak and with the possibility of perhaps being able to increase intake through different teaching methods that may be more blended than traditional face-to-face? Yeah. So I think, you know, we're really privileged as a department to be housed in the University of Johannesburg, an institution that's really striving towards achieving all the goals of the of 4IR and um, expanding our teaching to beyond just the classroom. So exactly like you say, of course, we've got a blended teaching approach. I think a, a, a lot of it um, during COVID moved to online, especially the theoretical um, work that's related more to uh, theory-based knowledge. But where we did more practical and clinical orientated work, you still have to engage with the student and you have to, the student has to engage with the patient because those kind of skills are a little bit more difficult to learn virtually. Um, but having said that, uh, technology is phenomenal and um, we, w- we were able to do so many things online that we historically thought you could only do face-to-face. And the advancement in, in, in the software that's available and the technology and the programs where things are so virtually real um, that you can actually virtually, you know, almost touch, see, and feel the patient while you 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 taking their case, but they're not in front of you. Um, and obviously, and and with regards to the profession and and and, and all complementary medicine uh, practitioners, the Allied Health Professions Council, I think we all realise that you know you ha- you have to move away from some degree to this face to face. And I think mainstream, all forms of medicine, realise that you know sometimes telemedicine is something that has to be considered. And with COVID now, it had to happen. Um, the transition had to be made to move away from face-to-face and realize that some things can be done virtually. The technology is phenomenal and uh, students are still able to learn, understand and, and comprehend really complex concepts and develop s- certain clinical skills without actually being in direct contact with the patient. But having said that, we, we still like the contact because as complementary medicine and, and you know, especially in, the, in, in our fields of study, is that the student has to learn to engage and interact with the patient. And, and that's part of the homeopathic and the phytotherapeutic health care is you have, to, you have to be able to connect with your patient. And you actually have to be with your patient and feel your patient <clears throat> realistically, not virtually, in order to understand that. So um, our clinics, we were still fortunate. We, a- we were able to run them through COVID. Obviously, with hard lockdown levels, we had to make adjustments there. But our patients were afforded the opportunity still to come in and see our, our, our students in our master's year, in our clinics that we run, and still have the benefit of, of face-to-face patient-practitioner care. It's kind of forced us to innovate in different ways yeah. and to yeah. change uh, and again let's let's use the word uh, conventional approaches yeah 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 exactly yeah hi this is lira south african afro soul singer and songwriter you're listening to womanity women in unity presented by dr amelia malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Dr. Radmila Razlog, who heads up the Department of Complementary Medicine at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. 
Dr. Razlog, as a gender-based program, we constantly focus on the importance of building female leadership capacity for the future of women, uh, both to our country and, and also to, to the continent and around the world. As a female doctor who's achieved a, a tremendous amount, how do you see female leadership in South Africa, whether it's in the, the medical field, uh, political space, academic or professional arena? Um, so I think female leadership within these domains has definitely grown over the years. Um, I think women naturally would make good leaders in medicine because of the, 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 the values that many women would bring forward as a, as a female doctor, as a caring healthcare practitioner. Um, so I definitely think this pertains in, I agree with you, um, you know, from a medical point of view, but in order to enhance, women have to be empowered to be able to be in those positions that they are able to offer that benefit to the community and to, to the patients and to the people that they see. And as you head up your department, what types of leadership strategies have you found to be most effective? So I think commitment is very important and, and it's, it's commitment to yourself, it's commitment to your, to your family, your, your family, to your team, to your community, to your profession, to your patients. So it, it's about committing to this complex existence of everyone that works around you and, and leading them strategically in where you feel you, you, you want to direct your, your team. So, and I think when you do this, um, this commitment that I speak about that has to be, you know, consider everyone, is that you have to show empathy along the way um, and, and really have an emotional IQ because it, it's not about pushing your own leadership goals. It's about pushing and driving your team. And then your accountability and, and your, the sincerity of your values of, of what you want to achieve and why you want to achieve that for, for your team um, or the community or the patients, um, their needs and the needs of others that are immediately associated with them. Um, I think you need confidence and confidence is not something that will happen automatically. That happens and grows and develops with you as you develop those skills and as you develop the commitment and as you develop the knowledge and the understanding. Um, and as you fail, and, and, and as, as you decide, you've got to pick yourself up and carry on again. I, I think I can do it next time around. If I can't do it the next time, maybe I'll be able to do it the third time around. So obviously, as, as a leader, there's always challenges. There's always risk-taking. Um, I think they've got to be fairly calculated, though, because you're not only looking out for yourself. You're looking out for your entire team and everyone around you, that you have to make sure that what you're trying to embark on will benefit everyone. So I think overall, my understanding of leadership and within the university as a head of department um, with, a, with a team now of nine staff members altogether, I think it's really that we, we work as a team and um, we all have our own skills. We've all upskilled ourselves. We empower each other to, to upskill um, in order to, to move forward. So we do it collaboratively. We do it integratedly, even as a team within, uh, within our department. And, and we know that we, we're taking those steps together. Um, and in order to excel as a department, my attempt is to lead us as a team um, where we all contribute, um, you know, to providing a, possibly what is in Africa, the, the, you know, unique courses that aren't available anywhere else in Africa and possibly differently um, throughout the rest of Europe other than maybe what we're seeing in Australia and we're seeing in China. 
Um, and we are also a female-driven department. We we only uh, we, we only have two males within our department, and we have a, a whole lot of women that are really striving to to enhance and uh, develop complementary medicine within our university, within society, and um, you know, and offer these qualifications throughout our country. Thanks for sharing some of your leadership traits and styles, and also the trajectory that you are working on with your team in the department. The trouble I have on this topic is the fact that there seem to be so few female leaders across different disciplines, uh, particularly in the in the business environment. Given what you know now, what, in your opinion, can we do that would help benefit women and help them help more women get into leadership positions? Um, so I think. Our qualification, the process through the qualification, exactly, you know, it's a, it's a six-year qualification. And I think a lot of the time when our students come in, um, we, we, we adequately screen our students to know that, you, you know, have the academic skills and ability, um, but also have the, the, the correct type of skills as a, as, a, as a healthcare practitioner. So, you know, right from the start, you know, we, we you know, we, we see these students who, are, you know, and particularly female students who are so committed to moving through the system, to attaining the qualification so they can improve their lives and the lives of their family and the livelihoods of their community. Um, and particularly as a woman, because we find with many of our students, they've, they've come from uh, communities and families where they would be the first female to enter into university. Um, even more than that, the first female that has been, you know, had the opportunity even um, from certain types of funding or because of hard work in matric, where they're actually able to pursue their dream. And I, and I really think as, you know, within our, within our department, within the university, with, with our recurriculation, we, we look at so many concepts of personal and professional development. Um, and, and even the understanding this, you know, as, as, as a young woman um, who's now taken on this qualification, moved away from their rural town and is now alone within the city of Johannesburg, to be able to empower them, to make them feel safe and secure enough, not feel fearful of, of stepping outside their, their residence um, to attain their dream. So, yeah, I think it's more just about increasing the number of students that enter into the qualification, but it's more about keeping them within the qualification and not allowing them to drop out because, because of financial uh, obligations or because um, they have to come home to, to look after the, the younger siblings or because the, the, the parents have moved away and the granny's the only one at home. It's about trying to keep them within the system because as, as young women and as future female doctors, they have so much to offer um, society once they're done, um, but they have to reach that end point. So there's so many confounding and so many uh, factors along the way, um, especially with a long qualification. You know, it's not like you're in and out within within a year with a certificate course or a, a, a bachelor's. I mean, we, we, we're saying that you have to attain your, your master's degree at the end of the day to, uh, to, you know, to, to be registered as a practitioner who's able to legally practice within the country in order to, to eventually legally be able to practice. So it is a, a really complex scenario. And I think, you know, socioeconomic factors have a massive influence on that. So these are all factors that we do consider but I think it has to happen beyond just what we can do in the classroom. Thinking about the aspect of journeys, and we've talked about where you are today, 
But can you tell us about some of your pivotal moments in life growing up, which in a way helped direct you to this point? Most importantly, it was always something that I wanted to do in health. Um, you know, medicine and wellness was something that I was always in pursuit of. It was, it was just, it was in me from a young child. And I think possibly the most pivotal moments were we with my father specifically, but with other people within my family where they had, where they had got ill um, and they, they had sought a certain type of treatment approach and didn't get the outcome that they wanted from the care that they were receiving. And especially my father, he sought to see a homeopath for a chronic condition that he had suffered from for years and years. And he received the care that he needed and the medicine um, that was obviously well indicated from an individualized approach. Um, and he made such a phenomenal recovery. And I think that's really, and as a student as well, um, I, I remember my years, my, my, my years as a, as a senior student working in the clinic. Um, and it's, it's, it's that experience of working with patients and realizing what a phenomenal contribution you've made to someone's life that they've presented with this condition for so long. And all I did was just listen to them and take their case and analyze it and decide this was your, your, your medicine that you needed. Um, and they'd come back afterwards and say, wow, just thank you so much. I cannot believe I, I feel so much better. And I think those are the pivotal moments and, and remain to today when, when patients come back and say, you, I really think you changed my life and, and, and thank you for that. And um, we offered um, a, a short learning programs in uh, infertility and, and pregnancy a, a couple of years back. And I remember all those practitioners came back afterwards and said, you cannot believe how, how many patients come back afterwards and are so grateful that, um, you know, they had this opportunity to pursue a complementary medicine as part of the process in order to fall pregnant and are, are so grateful for that outcome. So I think those are pivotal moments for all complementary medicine mm -hmm. practitioners where you, you know your care has had such a tremendous impact on someone and you've changed their life for the, for the good. It yeah. must be very rewarding uh, seeing the success of your work. Yeah. Yeah. And staying with this notion of, of success, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show is about what they consider have been contributing factors to their success. People speak about discipline, hard work, faith, a particular person in their life. And what I find interesting is everybody's got a different story or, or a different set of ingredients. So could you share with us what have been some of the key drivers to your success? So I, I think, you know, and I think a lot of women do say that, <laughs> but I really think um, it's my mom and my grandmother also, you know, they, 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 they always had those values and they, they, they wished to instill those values in, in the grandchildren and, 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 you know, my mom and her children, her daughters. And um, I think those were the driving forces for us as well in that, we knew what what skills we needed to attain what we wanted to, and they they supported us and encouraged and motivated us in in order to, uh, to achieve those goals. Um, and I can honestly say, in the department that I work, I, the women that I work with are, are my role models. Um, from from my executive dean to all the management that work within the university, um, but but my fellow colleagues within my department who, and I think it is related to the teamwork and that we all realize we have so many values and benefits and talents that we can jointly contribute. That leadership is a very small part of it to me. Um, it's about um, harnessing all those skills from everyone and, 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 and making sure that wherever that talent lies is that we've 
we made sure that that person is contributing um, with regards to their talent. Um, and then I'm very privileged to be working with Professor Heidi Abrahamsa as my research co-supervisor for my own doctoral studies. Um, she heads up the laser research unit at the University of Johannesburg, um, and an absolute privilege working with her as, 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 as a woman, as a female researcher who's done so much in, in research and um, uh, development of, of laser research specifically. Um, and spe especially for me, um, uh, Prof. Abrahams has done a lot of uh, research with laser and cancer uh, research, and um, I'm really privileged to have her as my co-supervisor. Um, she also just embraces all those concepts of, of a brilliant leader. And through the years now that I've been working on my PhD, she has also taught me so much as a, as, 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 as a woman leader, as a female leader. Yes, we were privileged to have her on the show a couple of years ago Lovely. and a fascinating subject matter that, that she deals with. I would say... Part of my key takeouts from today's discussion is the aspect of, of holisticness and yeah. this view where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts in, in everything that you've spoken about, the team dynamics, the contributions that people make from their different specialities to, to contribute and to make a greater effect. As we close out today's conversation, could you please share a few words of inspiration or motivation that you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to us? Thank you, yes. I would just like to encourage all young girls who, who really have a passion and a care and this willingness to help people um, from, from a medical point of view um, to, you know, to do whatever they can to get there. And we understand and we appreciate that the journey isn't an easy one. But hopefully you also have your, your leaders and your, 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 your women and your female mentors that you can look up to to try and help you and guide you to achieve those goals. Um, and as a, as a female in healthcare, um, I would really like to see more women who, who, who aspire to be female leaders within healthcare and hopefully promote complementary medicine. Um, obviously, it can go into a whole new discussion of traditional medicine and, and bringing uh, traditional complementary medicine to the foreground that our society and our patients and our community have those options of healthcare available to them. Um, but having said that, that those options are based on an evidence-based medicine approach and to ensure your patient's health and safety and well-being um, moving forward. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to host you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Dr. Radmila Razlog, who heads up the Department of Complementary Medicine at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. 